A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day World Cup podcast with me, Sam Matterface, alongside Talk Sports football correspondent Alex Crook and European football expert Kevin Hatchard. Every day when you wake up, we'll have a bite-sized delivery from the World Cups and bring you a roundup of all the day's action and discuss the upcoming games. Today's top stories, Brazil, the latest big team to crash out of the tournament as Croatia ride their luck to qualify for the semis on penalties. The dream is still alive for Lionel Messi in Argentina after they survive a huge scare to beat the Netherlands on penalties. And could the World Cup be decided later tonight? Uh, we'll look back on a big game last night and a huge game for England as they take on the reigning champions, France, live on TalkSport. Well, now the place to start, the Netherlands 2, Argentina 2. Emi Martinez, once again, an absolute hero in a penalty shootout, like he was in the Copa America a year or so ago. And uh, his antics in front of uh, the... Netherlands players doing the job. What a terrific goalkeeper he is, Kevin. Absolutely. Uh, a player with real personality. You look at the confidence he went into that shootout with, it never even entered his mind that he was going to fail to save some of those penalties. We've seen some of the trash talk that he produces in big games gone by, as you said, uh, in the Copper America. I thought this was the game of the tournament. I thought it had absolutely everything. Chaotic refereeing. Uh, we had real proper needle between players. Obviously, you don't want to see it go over the top. You want to see some of that, some of that personality. One of the greatest free kicks of all time uh, in terms of the goal that sent it to extra time because for you to come up with something like that under the most unbearable pressure and have the guts and the technique to do it is just remarkable because it's not just the low pass under the wall. It's the first touch from Veghorst that makes it because if he gets that wrong, there's no way he even gets a shot on goal. And he's done that before. He's done it for Wolfsburg in German football a couple of seasons ago. So uh, I wonder if that's where the idea came from. I know it's been suggested that maybe Veghorst brought it with him from Bajiktas, but uh, that was amazing. We saw Messi's brilliance. We saw just about everything and Argentina have come through the fire there and that might set them up for the rest of the tournament because they had to dig ever so deep. They thought they'd won it in normal time, thought they won it in extra time when Fernandez hit the post. Just amazing stuff. Well, it also should be said, we did see absolutely everything and talking about the fire, there was a hell of a lot of heat in terms of the relationships between the two benches, the players. There were 13 yellow cards branded in the game. I mean, the referee I thought was... Incredibly poor. I thought it was useless. In fact, I think he was uh, he lost control of the game. He tried to make it all about him early on, and then because he brandished too many yellow cards, ended up 
being in a situation where he forced himself into giving a lot more. But the, the nature of the game was incredibly spicy, wasn't it, Crook? Yeah, he certainly stoked the fires. No question about that. But um, I think we want to see a little bit of feist. Obviously, there's a, a big history between the two nations in this fixture. I've got to say, Kev used the word chaotic, and I think that describes it perfectly. I mean, it, it wasn't total football from the Dutch, was it? As I guess we've come to expect from a Louis van Gaal team. But basically, to throw on the seven-foot bloke and aim to hit him in the penalty area to get back in the game was a little bit Sunday league. But it worked. And actually, I was watching this game with Dean Ashton. And what disappointed both of us is that the Netherlands didn't keep doing that into extra time. Argentina were rattled. They were on the ropes. I don't understand why, having got it back to 2-2, they almost sat back in their shell, the Netherlands. I think if they kept going, kept putting long balls in the box, they may well have been able to win it in extra time. So in that respect, they got what they deserved with defeat in the penalty shootout. Because playing for penalties against a goalkeeper of the quality of Emmy Martinez isn't necessarily a recipe for success. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I was watching it downstairs with Jungle Queen, Jill Scott, last night. And she was saying that from Argentina's point of view, they threw the game away, Kevin, because they stopped playing football. Why did they do that? Yeah, I think there's an element of fear there. I think this is an Argentina team that has enormous pressure. I think there is a real... I know we talk about Messi a lot, but getting him to win this World Cup seems to mean an enormous amount to all of them. And so I think we have seen that real pressure creep in. Uh, We saw a bit of panic against Saudi Arabia. I thought it was interesting, actually. If you go back to that Saudi Arabia game, they lost. There was an element of panic in there as well. No, you covered the game, Sam. And they left themselves open to counters. They didn't show the requisite patience, maybe, in that game, I think. And I think there is a bit of nervous energy in there. And Croatia, I think, will look to take full advantage of that. But when you've got a guy like Messi who can produce what he did for the first goal, that can drag you out of trouble in certain games. I thought he was absolutely magnificent, especially in the first half of that game against the Dutch. But I don't think they've been particularly impressive. And I think Alex is absolutely right. I think the Dutch will look back on that and think, we had the momentum at the end of normal time. Why didn't we keep that going? Because they just reverted back to how most of the normal time had gone. And that was a real shame for them, I think, because they could have pushed on and won. Uh, the first World Cup semi-final as a result of that is Argentina against Croatia. Um, I know that Messi seemed to be quite spicy afterwards. He, I don't know who walked past his interview uh, with television last night, but he was moved to stop and call someone an idiot three times. <laughs> he was quite he was quite irritated during the course of that post-match interview, which, of course, we, we didn't really see because he does most of his interviews in, in Spanish, if not all of them. What, what do we make of that game? You know, Modric against Messi, a couple of old boys going at it. I mean, it's not quite a vets game, but it's getting up there. I think uh, we should be prepared for another late night with that one because what we know about Croatia is they have this incredible ability to dig in and stay in games. Eight of their last nine World Cup knockout matches have now gone to extra time. That isn't by coincidence. I think they're a brilliantly coached side. Uh, I was uh, speaking to one of their backroom team yesterday and he was telling me exactly um, how Zlatko Dalic goes about planning for opponents. It's, um, it's management by debate, really. He takes a lot of advice on from his backroom staff. And I think you can see that unity uh, on the pitch when they all flooded on with their kids at the end of the game. I think Modric was terrific. I think defensively, they they hung on at times. They needed Livakovic to make some excellent saves. 
They still lack a punch up front, so I don't think it's going to be pretty from Croatia. But they're a dangerous opponent for Argentina. I know the Argentine fans were celebrating on the Metro on the way to the game when they found out Brazil were out. They shouldn't take Croatia lightly because this is a very streetwise team. They know what it takes to get to a final of World, of World Cups. Yeah, they won 4-2 on penalties. Croatia won, Brazil won was the full-time score. You were doing it live for TalkSport. Andy Brassel said on TalkSport after the game, they are like your granddad. They may be old, they may be tired, but they're not to be messed with, Kev. <laughs> That's such an Andy Brassel line. I like that very much. Look, this is a Croatian team that we know can protect the ball. Uh, and I think you look at that midfield balance and... Brazil made the decision to stick with what they've been doing. But you just wonder, did they need more of the ball in midfield? Because Croatia were able to have breathers in the game, were able to to keep the ball at times. And it really served them well because Alex is right. They were hanging on at times. Livakovic was brilliant as he has been throughout the tournament. But that ability to not face wave after wave after wave of pressure made a massive difference and they relish it. You know, a lot of teams look at playing 120 minutes in a tie like this and think, oh, this is going to be tough. They seem to actively seek it out. And what a great night for Dinamo Zagreb as a club because they produce so many of those players. I mean, Gvardiol recently, obviously Mm. the goal is Orsic teeing up Petkovic. We've seen that in the Champions League this season. So a great night for them as a club. And Croatia, given the resources, given the population, it is extraordinary what they've been able to do uh, in the last few years. So, yeah, you wouldn't bet against them because that fatigue factor doesn't seem to be there. Croatia are a team uh, from a country the size of Scotland in terms of population, in fact, smaller than Scotland in terms of uh, population. It's quite remarkable they've produced such wonderful talent, isn't it? Yeah, and if you look at their record, you know, World Cup finalists, they're into the uh, the last four in the Nations League, last four in the World Cup. They obviously got to the uh, the semis in France, 98. They are a country used to punching above their weight. And again, I think that comes a lot down to to team spirit as much as ability. Special mention for, for the right back as well, Juranovic. I thought he was absolutely sensational. Um, the engine on him um, and the way that he silenced Vinicius Junior to such an extent that he had to be taken off. I think he's probably second only to Livakovic in terms of man of the match. The Brazilian manager, Tiche, has gone already. Um, that seemed to be something that uh, didn't take too many people by surprise. Um, has he paid the price for, for his dancing celebrations a couple of weeks ago or a couple of days ago? Was this always going to be the case if they didn't win the World Cup, Kevin? No, I think he was always going to go. I think it was always about this cycle um, win, lose or draw, I think this was always going to be the end for him. I think, obviously, there have been highs and lows. They, they've won a Copper America, but they've lost one as well on home soil against Argentina. That's obviously a, you know, quite a significant wound. And you look at the last couple of, you know, it's going to be tw- at least 24 years, the gap uh, between when they last won it, when they come to, to play in the next World Cup. And... I just think, you know, it's fine margins, isn't it? But I look at the quality they had and they just weren't able to bring it to bear. And I do feel like that lack of control in midfield against such an experienced and quality unit made a difference. You know, you're asking a lot for Pakitar to be that link between, you know, the the base of midfield and the rest. 
just wonder whether even somebody like Fred just in there breaking things up and winning that ball a bit more often might have given more of a platform for the forwards to shine. So, you know, you look at the the campaign as a whole, yes, some great moments, yes, some wonderful goals, but in the end, it's a massive disappointment. Huge disappointment for a team that haven't won it since 2002. And obviously everyone's now saying that makes whoever wins the game between England and France the big favourites, because he's been saying that from... Uh, for quite some while. But what about the penalty tactics? What did you make of the way that Brazil shaped up for their penalties? A lot has been made about the fact that Neymar didn't take one. I mean, I think he was probably slated to take the fifth one. And there is this school of thought with mathematical geniuses. And I've actually got a friend who is uh, is very much into uh, statistical and mathematical data around penalties and how what you should do is you should reverse your penalty takers so your best one goes last because statistically the fifth penalty is the most decisive one and it carries the most pressure. Therefore, your best penalty taker should take that penalty because it's likely to either keep you in a competition or take you through. They're just applying logic, I think, by leaving him to a last, right? Mm, you say that. <laughs> well, Mathematically and statistically. Did he want the glory? We've seen it from Cristiano Ronaldo before, haven't we, for Portugal? And you compare it to Argentina, Lionel Messi first to take his penalty and just score that nerve settler. Listen, I didn't know that data that you've had at your disposal. My initial thought was that Neymar wanted to be the hero, wanted the glory shot. It's a massive yeah. mistake, I think. I think it's a massive mistake, personally. I, I get it. I, I understand that you know people will have looked at hundreds of penalty shootouts and they will have gleaned the fact that, that the fifth is the most important. But we've seen it with Mo Salah before. If you don't get that far... It looks awful. And and I just think, I wonder, actually, if Messi hadn't seen what had happened to Brazil earlier in the day, would he have taken the first one? Interesting. I I wonder if they changed that. So, look, I think if you've got Neymar there, he should be striding out there first, set the tone, make a great start. I, I thought Marquinhos taking one was interesting, because he has taken them in shootouts before, but not many. And so him taking the responsibility, uh, you know, a centre-back of great quality, great technical ability, no doubt about that. But I was quite surprised to see that. And I was quite surprised Rodrigo missed as poorly as he did, because oh, it was a poor penalty. I, I think that kid's stone cold. I'm really surprised that the, the pressure seemed to get to him, because everything in his short career so far has suggested that wouldn't be the case. So I was really surprised. What was really fascinating, I thought, was that whereas we talk a lot about how well Emmy Martinez has done in terms of the way he saved the penalties, I thought he was so athletic the way he sprung to either side to make really good, strong stops, particularly the one down to his left where he needed really strong wrists to turn the ball around the post. Levakovic for Croatia, I was probably more on the side of their poor penalties rather than, than being brilliant, brilliant saves. But... Ultimately, this is a guy now, was he signed five penalties in it over the course of the uh, the World Cup so far? I mean, it's not to be sniffed at, is it? I mean, if you're going into a penalty shootout against him, you are going to panic a little bit when it comes to the semi-final or final. Yeah, and I think that was definitely the case with Marquinhos because he was so conscious, I think, of this big green giant stood between him and the back of the net that he felt he needed to be precise, he needed to be perfect into that bottom corner. So, yeah, I certainly think uh, Livakovic, not just because of the penalty saves against Japan, but because of how well he played in the match, I think he did get in the in the head of the Brazilian players. And actually, when it went to spot kicks, 
I fancy Croatia. I want to talk a little bit about the World Cup as a whole and what this means, because losing Brazil is a massive thing for brand World Cup, isn't it, at this stage? This wasn't supposed to happen, Kev. Everybody had their war charts done. It was a Brazil-Argentina semi-final. One of the two South American giants were going through to the final. In fact, when the draw was initially made, Argentina were expected to be on the other side and everybody hoped that it was going to be, I say everybody, we obviously don't, but Argentina versus Brazil in the final. That's now not going to happen. And with it, not only do we lose Brazil, the football team, we lose Brazil, the supporters. And between them and Argentina, they are certainly the most represented countries here. And there ain't going to be much left once Brazil have gone. Yeah, it's a blow for the tournament. Uh, and as you say, we expected this Argentina-Brazil matchup. We've talked about this for a long, long time. And it's a repeat of that Copper America final. And these were two teams in great form, we thought. And I am surprised how Brazil got that incredible goal. We know that through Neymar. It was brilliant. I mean, that's the that's the best of Neymar. Uh, for all the criticism he gets, he's a wonderful, wonderful footballer. And, and that goal summed him up. But they just didn't protect the ball well enough. And Croatia found the ice in their veins to score that goal at, at the end. And so, yes, we've been robbed, if you like, of what would have been an amazing semi-final, that I think a lot of people long predicted. But I do think that Croatia-Argentina clash is fascinating. But I imagine there'll be a lot of soul-searching now in Brazil because if they couldn't get there with this generation of players, this quality of players, that will put further doubt in the minds because what do they have to do to beat a European side? They went out to Belgium four years ago. And I think they're going to develop a real complex about playing European sides because... They don't get, because of the European Nations League, they don't get those regular games against the European big hitters. And there's always, if that continues, and I think it will, there'll always be that element of the unknown. Kev, you notice that, don't you? Every time they play a European nation, they go out at a knockout stage of a World Cup, 2006. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago on the preview pod. 2006, 2010, 2014, 2018, now 2022. Every time they yeah. run into a European team in a knockout stage, they go. And that is, you're absolutely right. It's got to be something to do with not having the experience of playing European teams in meaningful matches. And Brazil used to do this thing where they used to go out on tour. Um, they used to go around the world, the Brazil tour, the Brazil world tour. They used to play all sorts of different nations. I think they need to somehow find a way of in the interim, because that qualification period between uh, all the South Americans is quite brutal, really. It goes on for ages. They need to find a way somehow getting games in that test them at a different level because South American football is not as um, advanced and as developed as, as, as European football. It's pretty clear, you know, we're in a situation now. You go through, by the time you get to Tuesday, Wednesday night, let's be honest, in all likelihood, there's going to be three European nations and one on South American nation. A lot of the South American players that are doing very well are all playing in European football. So, you know, they've got to find a way of those cohesive games, getting teams together to play against higher-grade opposition more regularly. Because one of the problems that Brazil had coming into the tournament, and people were talking about it who I was speaking to in Brazil, they haven't been tested often enough. And that that was an issue. Well, Tim Vickery's talked about this a lot, the South American football expert, that mm. there have been talks about potentially expanding 
the Nations League to include South American sides because CONMEBOL and UEFA uh, have struck up a bit of a, a link. Um, you look at the finalissima that we had between Italy and Argentina, which Argentina won comfortably at Wembley. Whether that's a foreshadowing of something more tangible and more substantial, we'll have to see. I don't know how the the logistics of that would quite work. Um, Where's the calendar here? Yeah, we're off to Peru. Yeah, I I think that's going to be a tough one to work out. But, you know, maybe they can come up with something because I think it would benefit everybody. Indeed. Right. Talking of benefiting everybody, um, England against France kicks off at seven o'clock. Uh, tonight live on TalkSport and uh, we'll be doing it for ITV1. Um, Very much looking forward to that. The nation will come to a standstill and quite rightly so. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. To play in a, a quarter final of a World Cup is always going to be special. I'm very buoyed up. I think we've got every opportunity, I really do. The margins will be fine, I'm sure, and we're excited about that challenge. When you've got Kylian in your team and the form that Kylian is in now, it's a huge advantage, it's a huge asset to have. Boy, these players are are in the mode. They're in the mood for this. Is it finally time to end England's years of hurts? Opportunity inside the area. It's Kylian Alexander. Delighted ecstasy. For sure, the most important thing is trying to win the World Cup, and uh, that's what my focus is on, that's what the team's focus is on. Shaw firing it in, Bannigan, 1 0 England. There's always a kind of uh, a running joke about how England uh, haven't quite done it for a long time, and we're out here to maybe prove a point. Mbappe who curls it in, and Kylian Mbappe is unstoppable. Kylian Mbappe is a joke, he's so, so good. He was born for this, he was born for the big stage. Born for the tournament, born to be the leader, born to be the superstar. It's World Cup quarterfinal time. Bring on the French. We mentioned it earlier, the idea that uh, whoever wins this game wins the World Cup. Bearing in mind what we've seen so far, that is never, ever, ever going to be 
the case, not definitively anyway, uh, because there's been so many shocks at this this World Cup. But I do think that England and France are two very strong teams. Over the whole piece, though, you look at this World Cup, Crook, and you think there's not an outstanding team, is there? No, there isn't. Um, but if you're looking at most impressive teams, I think it probably is these two. I was fascinated to see Stuart Pearce's combined 11, um, which we do a lot of talk sport before big games. And there were many more England names in his 11 than there were French ones. Now, we know that Stuart Pearce is probably the most patriotic pundit that we have at talk sport. But I think he's got a point. I think if you go player for player, England have got a much deeper squad depth of talent than France have. Partly because France have obviously got some key absentees. Pogba and Angolo Conte, massive losses in midfield. Uh, without their first choice left back as well. Obviously, the caveat to all of that is that France have the truly outstanding player on the pitch in Kylian Mbappe. I know England players this week have been down there a couple of times, have been keen to stress it's not England against Mbappe, it's England against France. But let's be honest, if Carl Walker keeps Mbappe quiet, England have a tremendous chance of getting through to the World Cup semi-finals and going on and winning the World Cup. I think the winner comes from this tie. I've said it for a while. Luca Hernandez, Benzema, Nkunku, Golo Conte, and Paul Pogba. Thank God some of them are injured, Kevin, because they've got some squad <laughs> if they're all fit. Yeah, that's true. And I think in a weird way, they've kind of stumbled upon a very effective team as a result of some of those injuries. Because I think, I've said for a while, that I think Benzema's injury has given them a bit more clarity in attack. That's not to denigrate Benzema, who I think is a wonderful player who fully deserved the Ballon d'Or. But what it's done is it's just given you more of a cohesive unit in attack. I think Mbappe plays better with Giroud. Is that a nice way of saying that everybody hates him? No, I think it's more that Giroud is maybe a bit more selfless. Not that Benzema is selfish, but Giroud knows exactly what his role is in the team. He's a facilitator as much as anything. Obviously, he's France's record goal scorer, so he scores as well. But he's the fulcrum around which they can work. But but let's not make out that the dynamic of the group isn't enhanced by the fact that he's not there because clearly there there, there were relationship problems there too, right? Well, look, him coming back in even though he played well individually at the Euros, him coming back in was a shock. It wasn't expected. It upset Giroud. Giroud's relationship with Mbappe suffered, I think, because of that tension. That was a knock-on effect. And and I think it did raise a few eyebrows and it did kind of give him a bit of a jolt. So him then not being there almost resets them to where they were in 2018. Mbappe's been sensational. We know that. Giroud has played his part. I think he's, you guys know, I think he's a sensational player. I think he's, uh, you know, one of the great centre-forwards of the 21st century. And I think, you know, I don't think it's overstating it to say that. You look at what he's achieved at club level. uh, You look at what he's done at international level. I think he's been wonderful. Dembele has been more consistent than expected. But the real star, actually... We could talk about Mbappe and we could talk about his goals and his magic moments, but it's Griezmann. Griezmann has been a revelation in that deeper role. He has worked incredibly hard without the ball. He's come up with magic moments with the ball. It's all very well stopping Mbappe. That's fine. You've somehow got to disrupt Griezmann as well. 
Yeah, there's quite an extensive preview actually to this game on our World Cup quarterfinals preview, which we released yesterday. Um, and if you wanted to go back and listen to it, you can do because we've got uh, lots of sort of intricacy about where you think England will play. So we won't focus too much on that here, bearing in mind we've already done it once, but you can go back and listen to that if you so choose. A couple of the news lines coming out of the England camp. The Ben White story was quite fascinating yesterday. That, uh, there was a report in one of the papers that, that there was a falling out between the assistant coach, Steve Holland, and Ben White. England didn't deny it, but at the same time, they didn't say it was true. Gareth Southgate said in a rather stony-faced press conference yesterday, the person that wrote the article used words like alleged, so therefore wasn't necessarily sure of his own story. Ben White went home for personal reasons, and in 2022, we should respect that. And it was quite strident in the way that he delivered that statement, basically <laughs> telling everybody to shut up and don't ask me another question about it and move on, please. Uh, there was the Raheem Sterling situation where he flew in yesterday on a scheduled flight. So he flew in on a scheduled flight from Heathrow with seven members, six members of his family. He didn't, he wasn't in first class. He, I think he, might, he might have been in business class or whatever, but he spent most of the night before, because it was an overnight flight, First night before, standing up, queuing for 40 minutes or so to get onto the plane and then was shuffled on the plane with everybody else, was taking pictures with with fans. And, you know, that's great. He was part of the the rest of the fans coming out, whatever. But he is actually one of the players. And you do wonder whether or not he or the England setup might have thought, you know, bearing in mind the game is tomorrow, it probably would have been better to hire one of those things called a private plane so that he was a little bit more relaxed by the time he got there rather than staying up all night, getting a little bit of sleep, not being in first class and ending up not being ready to play on Saturday. I I did think that was a bit of a strange choice. Yeah, it strikes me as odd. Um, It also suggests that he won't play play. too much of a part (laughs) in this game on uh, this evening. Although Gareth Southgate did say that he would be available, so you would expect him to to be on the bench. I don't think he would have started anyway. The, the, The Ben White situation is interesting because... I think Gareth Southgate had the opportunity to say, no, that isn't true categorically. I'm surprised that he didn't take that chance. But as you say, when it comes to to personal matters, maybe you you have to choose your words carefully. I did reach out to Ben White's representative, actually, on the back of that story. And he was similar to Gareth. He said, I have nothing to add. So, um, you know, we we hope whatever has gone on with Ben White, that he's okay. Um, That's the most important factor here. Also, there's been a rather interesting little statistic line that was dropped rather mischievously from the PSG chief Nasser Al-Khalifa, who uh, said to Sky yesterday, well, look, we're not hiding it. We spoke to Marcus before and there was interest, but the the moment was not the good moment for both sides. Maybe in the summer, why not? Oh, let him focus on the World Cup. And in January, hopefully, if we're interested, we will talk to him. PSG's boss talking about Marcus Rashford, um, the French uh, champions, talking about one of England's top players the night before the game and then saying, oh, no, no, we shouldn't talk about it. Let's talk about the World Cup. Yeah, all right, OK. It might have been a little tactic there, Kev. Yeah, just a little, the timing. Although, that interestingly, that link's been there for quite a long time now, actually. Has, yeah. They've been, yeah, 18 months. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, the fact that he should bring it up at this particular moment, uh, I think, is telling. <laughs> but I think, I think Marcus Rashford's uh, mature enough and experienced enough not to be distracted by any of that. Yes, we shall see. Um, quick word on uh, England and what you think uh, of Didier Deschamps' comments yesterday. He said, uh, one, they have no weaknesses. Not until that, I'm sure that's entirely true. Um, and two, 
He said Gareth Southgate is not respected in his own country as he is elsewhere. Interesting, because obviously we've long had the debate about Gareth Southgate. I've been a big critic. You've been a big supporter. I've been more positive about Gareth Southgate during this World Cup. I think he's improved as a coach. And I think Didier Deschamps' comments are genuine. I don't think this is um, gamesmanship uh, on the eve of a big game. I think he respects Gareth Southgate. I think he respects this England team. And I think he's right to do so, because as I mentioned already, they've got incredible talent. And if Gareth Southgate picks the same side that he did in the last round, doesn't revert to type and go for a back three and tries to take the game to France, I think England can win. Where are you watching it, Crook? I'll be in the stadium with you, looking forward to it. Mm, okay. Don't come anywhere near me because you sound like you're a little bit uh, you know, clogged <laughs> up there. Uh, Kevin, where are you watching it tonight? Uh, I shall have my uh, technical study group around me at home. Uh, the kids were enthralled by Netherlands, Argentina uh, last night, especially the violence when uh, Paredes smashed the ball into the uh, Dutch bench. They thought that was <laughs> absolutely <laughs> hilarious. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're very excited about it. They're looking forward to it. Just to point on Deschamps very quickly, by the way, I think there's an element of game-recognising game there. They are very similar in the sense that they both have this incredible array of talent and they both get criticism for not shoehorning it all into the same team. And if you look at Deschamps, he's been a lot more pragmatic than some fans would like him to be at times, but he's been very successful. And I think exactly the same is true of Gareth Southgate. And that's why there's a lot of respect between the two, because England has spent the last two years studying France, in fact, longer than that, studying France since the 2018 World Cup. And they've based a lot of what they do on how France approached that competition, where they edged their way through it, keeping clean sheets, and ended up winning the tournament. Again, Morocco versus Portugal is three o'clock live on TalkSport. There's a full preview of that on our World Cup quarterfinals preview pod, which we released yesterday. It's also available on YouTube. Um, we've got Scott Minto and Darren Bent talking about uh, that game and all the others as well. So just you can fast forward to, through that and you can see a proper preview of it. Just a couple of news lines from the press conferences yesterday. Fernando Santos on Cristiano Ronaldo being dropped um, for the game in midweek, saying, so when we had this conversation, it was on match day after lunch and Cristiano, for obvious reasons, was not happy about it. He said to me, do you really think this is a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> what a line. What a line. <laughs> it's one of those oh, where you think, I'm sure it wasn't said exactly like that, but I kind of hope it was. It, it's a weird situation, that, right? Because now it's a massive decision what he does now. Because if he goes back to Ronaldo, I think that sends an awful message to some of the younger players he's got in that attack. But if he doesn't go back to Ronaldo, is Ronaldo going to kick off and is that ill feeling going to start affecting the rest of the group? It's it's a really interesting dynamic that now. And what do you think about this game, Kevin? Because we haven't got your views on it. I think this is about accumulated fatigue for Morocco. And I think it's about how fit is Aguerd, how fit is Saiz. I think those guys obviously were injured in the previous game against Spain. If they're anywhere near fully fit, then they've got a chance. But I think if they're not, there's a big drop-off after that. Amrabat has done an amazing job um, shielding that back line. I just wonder whether this might be a game too far for them and Portugal's quality in attack might be telling. So I think Portugal are going to go through. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Crook, uh, see you tomorrow. Kevin, you'll be back with us next week, I'm sure, before uh, the end of the tournament. 
Scott Minter will be with us on Tuesday ahead of the semi-finals. Join us to the, for that. And England versus France today is live from 7pm on TalkSport. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, we hope that when we speak to you next, England will be in a World Cup semi-final again. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.